0: Well, good morning, and it was really good just to to hear your uh, voices and worship this morning, and we do want to welcome you this morning, and thank you for joining us wherever else you might be, uh, joining us by the broadcast. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. It's really important to have a Bible with you, particularly today, perhaps uh, you'll have a Bible app. Open to Daniel 9, or a, uh, a Bible. Actually, Seth is just getting a, another a stack of Bibles in case you uh, don't have one with you right now. Uh, I think he's going to step here in here. There he is. Anybody would like a Bible? Page 728. If you don't have a Bible with you, it, 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 it'll work like a textbook kind of for you today. One over here. Okay, Daniel 9... We're going to look at uh, parts of the entire chapter, but especially 4 verses, uh, verses 24 through 27. In the past four or five months since the uh, pandemic uh, really emerged on the scene, I've noticed two concerning emotions, fear and anger. Fear and anger—you probably find yourself, you know, maybe more on this side, maybe more on that side. Because—and I get it—it's uh, we feel threatened in a variety of ways through these things. But I get to think a little bit about this personal impact of fear and anger because it's creating in us a lot of different kind of—it's spawning other reactions. One obvious one is conflict because there is such disagreement about what's really going on and and what should we do about it, what should be done about it, I can say. A lot of diversions have been created, especially in the stay-at-home facet. Um, Some of them are kind of harmless, you know, great little videos of what people were doing to uh, entertain themselves. Other times, I suppose the diversions maybe weren't as healthy if you... You know, just found yourself binge-watching stuff you maybe shouldn't. For some, it meant withdrawal. Just kind of a a, a seclusion, uh, isolation, uh, some extreme loneliness at times or kind of a a bunker mentality. For some, it even descended into a depression. Those, Those issues are more and more serious these days we're finding out. Other people would take a little bit more of a a strategy approach, you know, we can, we can handle it, we can do this, you know, and uh, so for some that kind of meant like if we, if we just do it all right, we can cover all the safety bases until you discover you can't, you know, and so finally you, you run out of ways to, to cover everything, and so there's been an uptick of violence, crime, abuse, addictions, Substances, pornography, food, one you can at least kind of laugh about. What's beneath it all? What's, what's What's kind of driving all of these different responses? It would seem to be this fundamental, unavoidable issue of uncertainty. When will this end? And will there be a, first it was a graduation, and will there be a summer fest, will there be a a baseball season. Will there be school? Uncertainty. It reveals this piece of us that wants to be in control. I want to know what's next. It's like it's like this. This situation has just pulled it out of our hands, and we don't know. The opposite of uncertainty is a plan. One of the reasons I'd really like us to look at Bible prophecy in these uh, particular months is to realize that God has an amazing prophetic plan. All of our plans have been taken out of our hands, but not out of God's hand. And so somebody else is in control. Could it be a very good thing? If we would learn how little we really control and we would learn to relinquish our control to the one who really does have a plan, could that be a good thing? I think so. Last week, as we began this series, we looked at Revelation chapters 1, 4, and 5. This isn't a study sequentially through the whole book of Revelation, but clearly that'll be an important part of any study of Bible prophecy. And we learned really how the universe ends. The universe ends with all who believe in Christ forever glorifying Him. And that informs us, if you back that off to this life on this earth, that's exactly what we should be doing now. We should align and adjust our lives so that we are focused not on all of the other stuff but on how can I today glorify and praise God. So we know the ending What's the plan? These particular four verses we look at today, Daniel 9, 24 through 27, are a very special, unique part of Old Testament uh, prophecy given to Daniel that lays out in some of the broadest strokes, kind of from here to there, with a lot of little phrases that actually have a lot of very clear and specific uh, guidance as to major segments of history and thus prophecy and it'll be interesting to even see how today 2020 fits into that prophetic plan so starting in chapter 9 we're going to get the context in verse 1 and i'll just confess that if you're looking at the outline the first typo is like the fourth word in it is not 638 it's 538 uh, bc in which daniel is is writing that should be 538 verse 1 In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So in 538, this is very clearly historically dated, Daniel realized that the prophecy of jeremiah the passage is in your outline jeremiah 25 the prophecy of jeremiah was specific that that the jews would be in captivity 70 years and he realizes hey we're 67 68 years into this it's coming to an end you see god had warned israel for a couple of centuries frankly And specifically here, this is about the southern kingdom of Judah that was still surviving, warned them, if you keep worshiping idols and disobeying me, I'm going to send you into captivity. And finally, God had had enough, like any good parent. And the discipline came, and the Babylonians uh, destroyed Jerusalem, uh, killed many, took all the leading people and thousands of others, deported them all the way to Babylon. And Daniel was one of those individuals. And so as a young man, starting in Daniel 1, you see the story of how Daniel was a captive in Babylon, and yet God providentially had his hand on him so that he rose to a position high in the Babylonian government. Daniel lived out his life outside the land of Israel, but is this significant Jewish prophet. And when the Babylonian kingdom was taken over by the Medes, that's what we see here in verse 1, remarkably... Daniel was retained as a leader in a completely new uh, uh, position in, uh, uh, leadership under the Medes. And so he is working for Darius as well. But he realizes where he is in time and says in verse 3, So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes, and I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. Now, we're not going to read through verses 3 through 19, but it's a remarkable portion uh, for our instruction because when we are living with uncertainty, there is no better thing to do than what he did. Turn to the Lord in worship and confession of sin. So you kind of want to know what your attitude would be in a godly sense in times of uncertainty. Here we are. It would be that we would be focused on worship and confession of sin. And so we see comments of Daniel, he confessed his own sin, and yet he was a very righteous man, but he was confessing on behalf of his people, Israel, as well. Um, the world has a boss, and Daniel had this sense of submitting to God and says, I don't know what's next. It seems we're at a pivot point as they approach the end of this 70-year captivity. So God, I just relinquish myself to you, and I want to search my own heart to see what is it in me. And so if God is ever going to maybe get our attention and address certain areas that we have not been paying attention to in terms of our walk and our righteousness and holiness before him, this would be a very good time to do that. So the prayer is prayed and We'd go then to verse 20. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and making my request to the Lord, my God, for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, angel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight, angels are real, about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, an answer was given. Isn't that reassuring? God sometimes instantly at work when we pray. Which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Important as well. Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision, and then the vision will be given. So he was going he is going to be told the future. And we're going to discover there are some things that will that are were were just like in Daniel's near future, but in our past already fulfilled, some things that have not yet been fulfilled, all of which was future to him. So Here we go, and the first thing we discover in verses 24 and 25 is that God is revealing to Daniel that he will solve sin and bring eternal righteousness to the world. Is that good news? (laughs) He's going to solve sin and bring eternal righteousness to the world. Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people. Let's stop there. Some of you have the term 70 weeks, and that's okay. We'll explain that. It's the same word. Seventy-sevens have been decreed for your people, Daniel, and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. What a huge Promise. Now, if you have the word seven, sevens or weeks, it's really the same thing because the Hebrew word, Daniel was written in Hebrew, the Hebrew word for week is the numeral seven. So you have to kind of contextually tell, is this about weeks of days or weeks of years and in context it's it's the 70 years of the captivity would give us the first clue he's talking about 77s of years so someone do the math there's a lot of math today 70 times 7 is how many 490 so there's a special 490 season of your season of time are decreed for whom who are your people daniel's people the Jews. So this is all about the nation of Israel in God's future. It's your people and your city, which would be, of course, Jerusalem. And in this time, God will finish transgression and put an end to sin. Now that might seem like it's clear jumping to the future, but this idea of finishing the transgression and ending sin seems to be referring to the immediate issue that God will complete his discipline for their sin. So you're right, Daniel, you're, at, you're 68 of 70, so the discipline for sin is about complete. But the next term, so, so that's going to be fulfilled very very immediately for Daniel, but the next term is to atone for wickedness. The word atonement is a sacrificial term, and is talking about the, the uh, spiritual, judicial, legal solution to sin. So we've just fast-forwarded to where? The cross. So somewhere in this big, amazing plan of God for the future, Daniel, wickedness will be atoned. And uh, so, indeed, that has taken place. The cross has fully paid judicially for all of the sin of all the world. That's been accomplished. It was future to Daniel. He's in 538 B.C., but it's already, of course, about 2,000 years past, for us. What about bringing in everlasting righteousness? That seems to have happened, right? (laughs) Not quite. So clearly the world is still in the grips of sin, so the bringing in of everlasting righteousness has not been accomplished, nor has the sealing up or the completion of vision and prophecy, nor has the the most holy place, that's referring to the temple, been anointed. There is no permanent temple at which God is is worshipped eternally So, so that stuff is still clearly future so all these things however will happen well he's about to tell us when because he's going to set dates from a certain decree historically to a certain event in the life of Christ verse 25 know and understand this From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, you may have the phrase Messiah, the prince, both are okay, comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt, what will be? The city of Jerusalem will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. So there is a beginning point and an ending point for the seven plus the 62 sevens. So in terms of how many sevens, that's 69 of the 70. And we'll look at the math in a little bit. Let's start with the decree, the opening issue here. When was there a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem? We studied not sometime last year in the book of Ezra about the uh, decree to go back and rebuild the temple, but what about rebuilding the city? That's in Nehemiah 1.1, and it's dated for us in the Bible. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, and Nisan began that year, March 5, 444 B.C. in our calendar, I took the wine, Nehemiah was cupbearer, that was his job, and gave it to the king, This is in in Babylon. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so I can rebuild it. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letter. So there was indeed an actual decree made to Restore and rebuild Jerusalem in this particular month, and normally it's dated to the first of the month, which would be March 4 of uh, our 544 BC. So that's a starting date of this period of time called the 77s or 70 weeks, until the end of the 69th seven is when the anointed one, the ruler or Messiah, the prince, comes. It's a very clear reference, an Old Testament way of referring to the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. What point in Jesus' life would this be referring to? Um, There was actually only one particular day where the nation of Israel recognized Jesus in some public way as the true ruler, king, or Messiah. That was the triumphal entry just a few days before his crucifixion. So it's Palm Sunday of the most likely year, and we'll see that that is actually probably 33 AD, March 30. So this, is, this would be amazing if this, was, this kind of specific prophecy was actually given by Daniel. So I'd like us to look at, a, at the chart. You have the chart if you have the bulletin in front of you, but I'm going to put it on the screen as well. And i going to do some math. And if you get confused, it's okay. If, it's, it, if you're saying in about three or four minutes, that went right over my head. Okay, just promise to rejoin us when we, when we talk about what it means to us, okay? The 70 weeks overview looks something like this. And so what he said in verse 25 is that there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. So that's a total of 69 sevens or 69 weeks which, if we properly understand those as years, is 483 years. Why did he break up those two segments into the seven and the 62? It's a little bit of conjecture, but I think the best explanation is that it, this is about the city being rebuilt. And it probably, the best we can tell, it took about 50 years to rebuild the city. Nehemiah, if you remember that story, he actually rebuilt the wall incredibly by God's hand in 52 days. But the whole city was rubble, and buildings had to be built, and streets had to be remade. A lot had to happen. So perhaps that breaking point there, the 7 times 7 will be 49 years, is a reference to Jerusalem being rebuilt. And the total period of time is this 444 to A.D. 33. Now, since I've mentioned math, some of you guys or girls are kind of math-oriented. You're thinking, okay, I'm going to do the math. Is that 483 years or not? And you'll discover it doesn't look right. But hold on a minute. 483 years. We're going to look at that in both the Jewish and the Gregorian calendar. Now, you don't maybe have not heard that word Gregorian, but we live by the Gregorian or solar calendar. And the difference, basically, between the Jewish calendar of the time and ours is that they had 360 day years. We're used to the 365 and a quarter with a leap, leap year, of course, every four years. And so it it it, it makes it the math kind of unique but very very clear and specific seven sevens and 62 sevens is the 483 years and then if you do that math and turn it into days you now have 173,880 days Gregorian calendar was different than of course the the Jewish calendar and here's the basic difference how can you have, some of you are saying, how can you have 360 day years? You're going to get way off, right? And indeed you do. And so what the Jewish calendar did is that in seven of every 19 years, they added what we could call a leap month. So they just made the correction a little bit differently, uh, less often, but there was certain months that would, would make that turn out right to add a another month and in fact in the uh, you read some of the old Jewish history and and the priests would declare that this is the year to add the month and so that would come out and just like we've had to in the Gregorian calendar have to add a leap day uh, the February 29 every four years But you see, the Bible did not... In the Bible prophecy, when you find references to the years, they don't make those corrections. They just use the 360-day year, which is what 12 of the 19... uh, Yeah, that's the right, math. 12 of the 19 years always did. And so that's why we will now see that the 483 years of the Jewish calendar actually equals 476 Gregorian years. So where does that leave us? Take that times the 365, and you get 173,740. You go, well, you're pretty close. That's 140 days off, right? Ah, but it even gets more accurate than that because some of you were thinking ahead and said, what about the leap years? So you have to add 116 days for the leap years every fourth year. And then the other thing you have to add is that the decree most likely began at the beginning of that month, which would be March 5 to 30, so you add 24 days. Could that be? Does God know exactly when everything will happen? Yes, He does. Now, this... Understanding, I think it was a little over 100 years when they started putting it together. There's been a couple of refinements by Bible scholars, those who take the Scriptures seriously. But this seems to be exactly what has taken place. If you're interested in some of this, by the way, uh, a little more of the details, I've, I've referenced the Bible Knowledge Commentary. We have that in our church library. Um, I've also put it at the back table. Uh, some of you know from last week, I put some overview of Revelation charts. You can pick those up. But there's a stack of uh, survey of Bible uh, doctrine, uh, my notes on, on Bible prophecy. And much of what we talk about in terms of details about this today is on pages 3, 4, and 5 of that document. Feel free to pick that up. I think Seth is putting it uh, the link online uh, for you guys who are watching. So, all of that... Um, Here's, the, here's what impresses me. Here's what assures me today. So this is where you come back if you, you know, that all is going over your head. Everybody wonders: when will life get back to normal? Will it get back to normal? Will we have such and such events? Can we, can we have large groups again where you can work together, you can cheer together, you can sit together, you can. When will COVID-19 be under control like the Spanish flu? Or whatever our questions might be. Uncertainty reminds us we don't have control. The CDC doesn't have control or know when things will change or end. Trump nor Biden knows the answer to those things. Science doesn't know the future. You and I don't know the future. God knows the future. And he knows it exactly. How does that affect us this week? Like we put on our banner, we need to follow him who holds the future. So this would would be a time where we could not let fear or anger or any combination control our spirit. Because that would not be following him who holds our future. This would be a time when we wouldn't dive into conflict over these things. This would be a time we, we cannot afford to let ourselves slip into our temptations, to addictions, or to crawl into some private hole of withdrawal or depression. We, this is when more than ever we must cling to the one who knows. Uncertainty is opportunity to distinguish ourselves from the world because they will handle when you when you live apart from Christ and apart from the assurance of God's word you will live very you will react very differently to uncertainty there should be a remarkable difference because our trust is not in the in politicians or experts we we realize we cannot control a tiny virus we can't control the issues on our streets we can't control the issues that our friends bring up. We can't control what it's going to be like at school. Someone else is making, making, Some of you might be involved in some of these decisions, but mostly we look on. And, and while the world can be desperate, we can be at rest because we know the one with the plan. Verse 26 continues with the progression of, where we find that God will one day, as we now shift really to an accelerated time leading to that final 70th week or seven of Daniel, God controls the ruler who will emerge called the Antichrist in that final seven-year period of time. Verse 26, after the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. Wars will con- war will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. Let's walk through that, back to our chart. When it says, after the 62, because of the way he's divided things, after the 62 also means after the... 69 so this is after the part that has been completed with christ and if we're understanding that appropriately after the triumphal entry two things will happen after that what's the first one the messiah or anointed anointed one will be cut off it means christ will be crucified and indeed just days later of that passion week christ indeed was crucified So that's the first thing Daniel is told by the angel will happen after the 69th week, but before the 70th week. What else will happen? The people of the ruler who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. So remember, this all started with uh, about what's what's going on with Israel, what's going on with the city of Jerusalem, and they will rebuild it, and Nehemiah did rebuild it. So it's going to be destroyed Jesus, when he was on earth, told the disciples, it's in several of the Gospels, but one of them is Matthew 23, 38, says, this temple is going to be torn down. You, look at, you see this temple? It's going to be torn down. This city is going to be destroyed. And that's exactly what happened in A.D. 70. The Roman general Titus, in A.D. 70, came in and after these long decades of conflict that we see the stirrings of even in the Gospels, as we read, Jews versus Romans, they came in and they destroyed, annihilated, basically ended the nation of Israel as a independent nation at all. Destroyed the city that Nehemiah rebuilt. Destroyed the, the streets where Jesus and his disciples walked. You can find it in any history book. And then it says the end will come with a flood. And for whom? Who's the subject? Verse 24, it's Jews. The end will come with a flood. Uh, War will continue until the end. Desolations have been decreed. This is all about the turmoil that the Jewish people will experience. When? After A.D. 70. The last 1,900 years have been a time where Jews have been persecuted in many ways, many places, wherever they were dispersed. uh, The most obvious one to us might be the Holocaust of 1933 through 1945. I I read some of that history this week and was appalled by by pictures and review of what the Jews experienced as six million of them were murdered by the Nazis. And even more recently, the last 50, 60 years, Uh, There is extreme conflict, of course. Uh, You can read probably something every week in the paper about uh, the Arab and Israeli conflict. Now, as we think about this passage, and especially as we think about the 70th seven that we're about to discuss, we realize it's about Israel. And it's, I guess, easy enough for us to realize It's about a real, literal Israel, because we know, and we've all grown up with, a real, literal nation of Israel. But between A.D. 70 and not until 1948 was there a nation of Israel. So people who were reading this passage a hundred years ago would not really know what we know. And in fact, uh, most Bible students a century or so ago were hard-pressed to know how to explain it. There were a lot of theological gymnastics trying to explain how there would be Israel. Because, so what they would begin to do is explain, well, you know, the church really replaces Israel, and so a whole strain of theology develops around the church replacing Israel and yet there were others that says, no, they said, no, he said Israel. It must mean Israel. Well, we live after 1948. There's a few of us among, here, among us here that were actually, it's your lifetime where Israel became a nation. And so I just, we just need to know that we live in exciting times where we now realize it's no longer far fetched at all that these things will happen literally for the nation of Israel. And it'll happen particularly in this seventh week not yet fulfilled verse 27 he will confirm a covenant with many for one seven so here's our 70th week and the he goes back to the ruler who will come of verse 26 we want to discover who that is but we'll just We know him commonly as the Antichrist, the ruler who will come. Someone in this future period of time, this has not yet happened, someone will take the lead and will make some kind of promise with the many, the many context is Israel, will make a covenant or promise to Israel. Might be some kind of a peace treaty. And if you even think of the last several decades of conflict, Man, if somebody could really come up with a solution to the, the Israeli-Arab uh, and, and, and conflict, if, if, if somebody realized how to fix this thing and seemed to come up with it, you'd think, yeah, people would be willing to follow him. But we know who he is, and it is a uh, diabolical and deceitful promise. Because what does it say? He'll make a covenant with many for one seven and in the middle of the seven, that's halfway, three and a half years, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on a wing of the temple, and some of the translations are a little bit difficult. Exactly how this reads, but on the wing of a temple of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. He is the focus. This this uh, satanically inspired man. He's going to make some promise, and the nature of the promise seems to be that the Jews would be allowed to make sacrifices in a temple. Now, it's fascinating. There are Orthodox Jews today that would like to restart sacrifices. They say, we need to get back to the sacrifices. Going back 2,000 years uh, if you just even google something like start, start sacrifices in jerusalem you'll see about these groups that are trying to do this now of course these are, are jews that are living in unbelief in relation to christ because we would know that that's not necessary christ is our complete and final sacrifice there are also many jews who would like to, especially of the orthodox persuasion who would like to rebuild the temple but what's the problem there is a mosque on the temple site so that can't happen until something happens Uh, there's a lot of different prophetic ideas and I think some are somewhat speculative and I don't want to go too far into speculation but somehow this is all going to happen and and it's just interesting to kind of watch when the news ends up aligning with something that we actually do know from scripture doesn't give us permission to project what the news will be or when But it's interesting when the news begins to align with that which we do know. All the 70 weeks are about the Jewish people. So what that 70th week is about is that God is refocusing now on the nation of Israel. But let's think about what happens between. What happens between is there is a huge gap because we know when the end of the 69th week was, and now we are living in the gap. Uh, we often call this the church age because, of course, in Acts 2, the church began with the coming of the Holy Spirit and uh, at some point will end in the rapture. But we live in a unique time and God did not reveal this to uh, what, this nat- what the nature of this gap would be, did not reveal that to Daniel And I think it makes sense. It's because Christ had not yet come. But it's fascinating to think of how we fit into this prophecy because we are part of the church. And we are at some point in this uh, gap, uh, awaiting for the fulfillment of God's timing, which he did not tell us when, that would end This period of time is called by Paul the mystery of the church. Ephesians, so now we're jumping to Ephesians 3. Be sure to look that up twice. I I (laughs) copy and paste it, I guess. Uh, In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations. That would be Daniel. So Daniel didn't know about this as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets, and that would be Paul or, or of course, the Apostle John, who gave us all of uh, the book of Revelation. So prophecy and Scripture and Revelation itself is progressive. God revealed it not to the Old Testament, but it's part of the New Testament. Here's the mystery. That through the gospel, so it's because of the cross, The Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. This would have been mind-boggling to Daniel. He he really would not have the context to understand that. In fact, it was mind-boggling to Paul and to every Jewish uh, uh, synagogue that he shared it with. But it was exactly what God's plan would be, and that's what began to unfold, is that now because we are after the cross, God's plan was to pull together Jew and Gentile into one body, the church, and that's an amazing part of his prophetic plan. It also, I think, is something we need to remember in these days of racial tension, that it is the cross that unites people of all races. It's the only ultimate solution. There's a lot of things that can be done. We all got to look inside our own hearts and and those kind of things. The true unity of all peoples comes through the cross. The other night uh, Priscilla Scott and I watched the movie Hidden Figures. Some of you I remember that uh, movie? story of three black women who were brilliant mathematicians and engineers in the space uh, uh, exploration uh, season of the early 1960s. And in spite of the racial discrimination that they experienced, they ended up blazing the trail for, for women as well as for uh, other races in the technology field. And the, and the movie does a good job of showing how the mission of NASA pulled together and united very different people, different races. I had to think, you know, if the mission of space or exploration can do that, how much more does our mission as the body of Christ, we have an eternal task of make disciples of all nations. How much more does that finally draw us together we serve the same king the same ruler our citizenship is in heaven that's our new identity we are in christ and that is what pulls us together so it is the church that fits between the 69th and the 70th week in the gap in the parenthesis of god's plan for the jews but that doesn't mean he has forgotten the jews in fact they are they will take front and center stage again as we come to the end of this 70-year period of time, where are we? We're in heaven. And in in coming studies that we do, we will be looking at the the rapture, the coming of Christ for the church. It ends the church age, as we understand these scriptures. And it brings in a seven-year period of time, the 70th week of Daniel. And now we will see there's a unique... Uh, midpoint to that tribulation time and we find multiple multiple references to something that happens in the middle and it comes back to our passage here in daniel uh, nine did you notice that as we were reading he will confirm a covenant with many for one seven in the middle of the seven he'll put an end to it so it's it's the halfway point Earlier in the book of Daniel, this this individual has been revealed in another vision to Daniel where he is called the horn of a beast or he's referred to as a king. So there's a lot of different names for this leader, this world ruler during that future seven-year period of time. Daniel 7, I kept looking and that horn was waging war with the saints and overpowering them. This is in the seven-year period of time we now see a king will arise, he will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people. The holy people will be delivered into his hands, and the holy people being those who come to faith in Christ, principally Jewish people during that seven-year period of time, the holy people will be delivered into his, the Antichrist's hand, for a time, times, and half a time. Keep that phrase in mind. Time, singular, times, plural, and half a time. This is also the uh, reference of the the Antichrist in the seven-year tribulation in the book of Revelation chapter 13. The people worshipped the dragon, and he is already identified in context as Satan, Revelation 12, 9, because he had given authority to the beast. The beast is the Antichrist. And they also worshipped the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise its authority for 42 months, do the math, 42 months, 36 months would be three years, three and a half years. So we see that there is something significant that happens
1: halfway
0: through this time. So the 70th seven that Daniel's talking about, this one, one year, seven-year period of time has a midpoint of three and a half years, The time times and half a time is three and a half years. A singular and a plural, two and a half a time. And that's equated various places, some of these references. The 42 months is used both uh, there and elsewhere. It's also called 1260 days, which again, using the Jewish calendar, 360 days per year comes out to the 1260. So this is clearly about this future time called the tribulation. And then what will happen? In the middle of the verse, it says, at this midpoint, on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation. Anybody ever heard that phrase before? Abomination of desolation. It just sounds like, that, that's a really powerful <laughs> statement, isn't it? What is it? What is this horrible thing that this uh, satanically inspired man will do? Jesus told the disciples what it would be in Matthew. So when you see, and referring to the disciples uh, projecting themselves as part of the nation in this period of time when, when God completes his plan for Israel, so when you see standing in the holy place, that, the temple, the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, our passage, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee in the, to the mountains. For then there will be great distress. And uh, the older translations and some still today use the word tribulation. So that's where you get the term, the great tribulation. There will be great tribulation, and that particularly applies to the last three and a half years. That's when things really go nuts on earth in this spiritual and actually physical conflict as well. Unequaled from the beginning of the world. In other words, something... Far bigger than any chaos or any world war we have seen, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. And if you uh, read Revelation, really chapters 6 through 19, that's exactly what you see. And it makes any chaos that we know of today seem tame by comparison. This man is described also this way because. not just what the man is described with another name, the man of lawlessness, but this tells us what probably this abomination of desolation is. Second Thessalonians, the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction, he will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Can you imagine anything more diabolical than in the midst of a temple meant for the worship of God that a man would set himself up and say, worship me as God. And that unleashes the very worst conflict of the worst of times and uh, the severe judgments of God that are poured out on the world during that time uh, described in Revelation Why would so many people all over the world unite around such a horrible, singular ruler? It might seem crazy to us, unthinkable. Keep in mind that believers have been raptured, so there's a new core of believers, of course, that are God's holy people during that time, but... uh, the, 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 the pandemic is, is, is tame by comparison, but if somebody really emerged right now that had the answer to the pandemic problem, can you see how, with as many people feeling threatened, how easily it would be to coalesce around someone, they have the solution. How much more when you're in a situation where all these people, have us, have disappeared... All the chaos, all the conflict, all the judgments that are happening and the horrible pestilence and things that are hap- How much more, if somebody claims to have the answer, will people be eager to follow him? Well, are you interested in knowing what happens to him? Here's a preview. Dan, uh, Revelation 19. Then I saw the beast, the Antichrist, and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war, against the rider on the horse in Revelation 19, that's Jesus and his army, but the beast was captured and with it the false prophet, his right hand man who had performed signs on its behalf the two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur it is a sobering description of the end of these men that oppose God in such a way God's Justice always prevails. We live in an age of uncertainty. What we have seen just in this vital but select passage is that God has a plan, a very specific plan. And if we've misunderstood some details, so be it, but it is a specific plan. And so God knows exactly what He's doing and when He is going to. To do it, and we have to rest in that. one of my f- fondest childhood memories was that about this time of year each year, uh, Dad and mom would t- take us kids on vacation. It was uh, in the farm economy, this is always in Kansas after the wheat harvest, and it 's before you had to get to the fall work, so it was a good time to get away and uh, Even if even if money was tight, we'd go at least three days, either to the Ozarks, that was the closest to where we lived, or go the other direction to Colorado. And uh, we'd always start out in the dark, about four o'clock in the morning. That was a big part of the excitement for me. I mean, what else does a kid ever do at four o'clock in the morning? And so to be uh, awakened at four o'clock in the morning, and you you pile into the car, and you know that you got this exciting vacation ahead of you, and and, uh, but I know what happened the minute I got in that car, boom, I was gone, I'm sure, for the next three or four hours. But then you could wake up in Missouri or something, and you could start your day. And I didn't know Dad's plan. I'm sure Dad was thinking through things, you know, what, how much do we have? What can we afford to do on this trip? And are we going to go here? Or this is where I'm going? He was probably wide awake, not me. I didn't need to know the plan, but obviously as a six or nine or 12 year old, I just needed to know I was with dad, and it would be a good plan. It would be a great experience, and I think we need to take that approach with our Heavenly Father, while we don't have to know all the plan and, 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 and act as if we're running the trip, we trust the one in full control. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are forced in different ways throughout our life and now in some form of unison, it seems, to trust you. And we actually thank you for this privilege. You said that we should count it all joy when we come across the very hard things of life. So we, by faith, do that. And we put our trust in you again and know that you are this faithful God. And so we declare your faithfulness morning, noon, and night, middle of the night if necessary, that you are in control and it's okay that we are uncertain. Uncertain. We ask in Jesus' name, who has died and risen and ascended, and will again reign over all. In Jesus' name, amen.